The material in this episode of the Relentless Podcast may be triggering for some. Viewing and listening discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tyler Smith, and my definition of relentless is being able to continually challenge yourself every day. Um, I think we've all understood over these past couple of years how challenging life can be and how difficult and unique life can be, um, but being able to show up for yourself and challenge yourself um, as small or as big as it may be is a beautiful thing. So remember that creating those new neural pathways in your brain is all about getting out of your comfort zone and challenging yourself. So be relentless, challenge yourself, and show up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I'm Kyle Dubay, and on this episode, we have a compelling story by a young man named Tyler Smith, who is one of the survivors of the Humboldt crash that happened on April 6, 2018. You're going to want to listen to this guy's story. It truly is incredible and quite inspiring. We hope you get a lot out of it and we hope you enjoy it. Tyler, I am, I'm, we've met quickly before, but I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Kyle, appreciate it. Yeah, love the setup you got going on here. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, I enjoy these conversations a lot and I like to think I take as much from these conversations that I, as I hopefully can give to the listeners as well. So um, yeah, thank you very much. Well, like I said, it's just an honor to have you here. And Tyler, I, th- I think the way that we'll do this is how about you just tell us your story and I'm going to jump in here and there uh, to ask maybe a few questions. Does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah, that All works right. great. I'll, yeah. let you, I'll let you go then. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely like to uh, touch on, I guess, who I was as a human being before. Um, and I was that classic dressing room person um and even in the classroom i love people i love social settings i love being able to you know flourish in social settings and and create those experiences for people and try and create some laughter and um i think that's obviously a big testament to the fact that i just wanted to put everybody else before myself and um and And you you were a glue guy yeah, like I, uh, I hate attaching that. La- no, I shouldn't say hate, but uh, I, I don't love attaching that label just because glue guy is obviously, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big role and it's a huge I, role. I, I took a lot of pride in that role, but um, obviously there is some ups and downs with being a glue guy. Yeah. Um, I always tell people that they don't have to look at my stats. Like I uh, <laughs> was, you know, bantam and midget. I definitely put up some numbers here and there, yeah. but uh, come junior hockey, it was, uh, it's a different world. And it's hard. Yeah, it's uh, it was something that I really enjoyed the fact that I was able to do, um, you know, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life and I didn't want to rush into anything and I didn't want to try something and not really enjoy it. And um, and yeah, that's what led me to, you know, Drayton Valley my first year, which was kind of a nice little segue into the into somewhat adulthood. Um, I lived a very fortunate life where my parents are my parents are two of my best friends and, and they're amazing, amazing people. I got an older brother as well. And, um, needless to say, my mom did a lot for us. <laughs> I think even, you know, moving to Drayton Valley, as much as you're still living with a billet family and it's not like you're completely on your own, but that was like the first time I really had to do laundry. That was the first time I've, you know, had to fend for myself a little bit. Um, I was still fortunate to have a pretty special billet family in Drayton as well. But yeah, I mean, being an individual and, and learning to be independent was, something that, um, yeah, was, was different. And, but it was also, I mean, it was close to home. It was nice. So it was only a 45 minute drive on the, on a Sunday night and go for dinner. And cause you're from the Edmonton area, Leduc. Yeah, yeah. 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 So grew up in Leduc and, um, I think, you know, growing up in Leduc was definitely a, a special thing. I still have a lot of friends that I grew up with or played with and, um, and it also helped. I've been having this discussion quite a bit lately cause it's interesting looking back because I was on a lot of successful teams um, and we did have a lot of successful players that went on. And But it is interesting because I now look at it in the sense of, I don't know how my love for hockey would have been if I didn't grow up on successful teams consistently. Right. And it's something that I personally never experienced. And I think I just like was so blinded to the fact that, you know, some of my friends or people that I've come across that maybe don't have the same love for the hockey that I have just because of the fact that, you know, they might not have been on winning teams or winning cultures or whatever it was. So, um, well, winning's more fun. Yes. Quite right. a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. And, ask, uh, the, ask the Oilers. And yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Pens fan, so uh, oh, it's go. it's been good for uh, a little bit. But yeah, I finished up in Drayton Valley and um, kind of had to go the whole route of fending for myself, and some things didn't work out in Drayton, and was kind of left figuring out a new place to play and cold calling coaches without an agency or anything like that is uh is tough when you're not obviously bringing 20 to 30 goals to the table or or fighting or whatever it may be it's tough to sell yourself as a glue guy unless you got a team of 10 people you know reassuring and giving that reference so um i called around to some coaches for quite some time and never really had any luck and tried aj tried some bc teams tried some saskatchewan teams and and never had any luck and i think i was I'd have to ask my parents, but I was definitely starting to get to that last leg of, okay, like I should really start thinking about something else. I should really start thinking about like a new future. And, and luckily it was just one text to, you know, one of my brother's best friends and he played in Humboldt for three years under Darcy and he was able to send that text and, you know, give that reference. And, and that's, I guess, what led me to packing up my vehicle and driving six hours straight east to a town that I never actually really heard of. Right. <laughs> um, so it was different. It was, it was unique. And I tell this story a little bit more now, but even on the way, um, I was driving my Jeep Grand Cherokee and all five of my lug nuts on my front left tire just snapped um, mm. in between Saskatoon and Battleford. And I look back and I'm like, was that kind of a sign? You know, was that a sign to turn around? Was that a sign to, um, you know, that something was ahead? I don't know. It's right. hard to look too much into that. But at the end of the day, I got my tire fixed the next morning and I was off to Humboldt. And uh, as, soon, as soon as I got to Humboldt, I think being a glue guy, I guess you could say, I do like to think I have a good gauge of group character, um, of a character of a room, a character of the individuals that make up a room. And um, obviously this wasn't the final team. We still had trade deadline and stuff like that. But I knew right away and I think that was a, a, a just a true testament to Darcy and what he brought to the table and the foundation that he did create over those past couple of years. And um, it goes from obviously our leadership down, but it was just a really enjoyable time every single day that we came to the rink. And I think that's what really obviously has made these past couple of years so hard, but also so refreshing in a sense where, you know, I can try and take little pieces of that into my life and I can try and instill some of those values into myself and also just the people around me. Um, Darcy was the head coach. Yeah. So Darcy was the head coach. I've heard nothing but just incredible, incredible, incredible stories about him. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Like even I was, uh, I'm helping out with a peewee team in Calgary now. And um, one of the other coaches who's there from time to time and he found out who, you know, my backstory and he was instantly like, Hey, I played under Darcy in peace river. And, um, and once again, had nothing but amazing things to say. And it is interesting to look back because you always find yourself comparing. And, and the last thing I want to do is compare because I really like to reiterate that, you know, it's not about comparing stories, it's about finding a common ground or mm. it's not about comparing groups. And, um, but it is interesting because this group was just like the, the, the tip, you know, this was the peak, like yeah. this was, uh, the way he built that team was just purely of really good hockey players but also just like damn damn good people um and that's what led us to creating that culture of selfless leaders that you know we really enjoyed serving the community as well and we actually had a ton of fun doing it um but we also knew that if we could create something off the ice and create that culture that guys wanted to be a part of and crave you know going to the rink then i think that's what led to creating so much success on the ice um and yeah i mean it's unfortunately it's a it's an unwritten story of how we kind of would have finished that year. Um, but we just had a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, we had a successful team. I'm not saying we're the, you know, the top team in the SJ, but we kind of walked through the first round against Melfort, one of our little rivals. And um, I think after winning that series, we definitely had a lot of mojo going. And it's funny to look back. I mean, we were quite beat up. We had, I think, cages are mandatory now in junior but i think at that time we had like five guys in cages um just just lost i i took a slap shot to the mouth like a week before playoffs and we had guys and you know broken noses and broken this and 
Um, but we just wanted to have some fun and, and take it and one day at a time. And, and yeah. When you think of playoffs, when you think of junior A playoffs, these are the type of things that happen. And it sounds to me like this team under Darcy's leadership and then, and then those natural leaders, you being one of them within that dressing room and, and, um, was very tight knit. You guys are very close. Um, you were having a lot of fun and you were doing well. And then tragedy strikes yeah so um obviously that day is uh it's interesting because i've had a lot of conversations now with people whether it's my age group or you know my parents age group or um and i by no means am i ever going to compare it to you know 9 11 or anything but it seems like our generation and kind of just like the generation just above us remembers exactly where they were that day and even like i'll ask my parents like they both remember where they were for 9 11 i could tell you yeah exactly and i could tell you though exactly where i was when i started hearing about the humble crash yeah so it's a good comparison yeah, I think. yeah and i've had just like a lot of conversations with people and I, for me i find it really bittersweet um because i i personally have no recollection of that day and i i i tell this but i I think it really is human instinct to want to remember sure. um, and to want to pull that last memory um, of, of an individual or pull that last memory of that team or pull that last memory of that smile or whatever it may be. I think there is so much that I want to be able to remember. Um, and I don't know if it's my mind trying to protect me from that day because I, I, I truly couldn't even imagine the, the mental and emotional in, injuries and scars that occurred that day um, from guys that you know, maybe do remember waking up and being at the scene. And, and it is interesting because my parents found out from one of my good friends at the time. And, you know, he sent a text and just said, did you hear? Um, and I think that's probably a, what a lot of people kind of got that first text about. Did you hear what happened or did you hear? And my parents had no idea. They were on their way to Airdrie to pick up my brother's new truck. You know, life was good, feeling yeah. good, going to go. It was a normal day. It was a completely normal day. Um, and I think it is eerie because now there is a couple stories out there um like even my billet mom she sent us off that day and she's been a billet mom for you know 15 plus years and um and she sent us off that day and started you know having some tears for the first time um, that she's ever sent a team off or sent her mm -hmm. players off and there's a couple like little eerie stories that you hear now about you know that day and about the fact that it was a normal day but there was a couple weird occurrences and weird things that happened that, um, you know, led up to whatever time that unfortunately the crash happened. So mm. um, it's a day that I, like I said, I have no recollection of. And it's a day that I kind of want to remember here and there. Um, but for anybody that I've talked to, I mean, it was a day that we knew we were going to win that hockey game. And it was a day that, you know, we were looking forward to going to Nippon. We just lost that previous game in triple overtime, I think it right. was. So. Um, you know, emotions were high and emotions were, it was a roller coaster in that last little bit, but once again, Darcy did such a good job of, you know, trying to keep us even keel. And, um, even after that triple overtime loss, I mean, our captain stood up and just said, you know, we're going to take some time to, you know, let this one sink in and, and we'll, you know, dive into things tomorrow. And, um, obviously that tomorrow never really came. And it's interesting cause I, I think you know, you just wish you knew kind of how that game was going to go, especially, um, and how the, how things were going to transpire, but you just will never get those answers. And, um, and I think that's once again, kind of what led me down that path of just consuming myself with those unanswerable questions. Um, and anybody that's kind of went through trauma or grief, I mean, or survivor's guilt, even, I think that's something that I never really understood and never really wanted to understand. I mean, I personally never went through big loss. I, I, Right. I never lost, you know, a, a grandma or a grandpa that I was, uh, or a, somebody in my life that I was super, super close with. And, um, and I never really understood the layers and complexity of grief. Mm. And I mean, for that first little bit, I had no desire to dive into that. Mm -hmm. I just, I really didn't want to, um, because it was so traumatic to look back and, and think that, you know, there's in my position, I'm thinking that there's far better people that we lost that day. There's far more talented people that we lost that day. You know, there's amazing people that have families that we lost that day. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, why am I still here? Like, right. w like what's the reason? Right. Um, and I think that's something that I really did struggle with. And it was so easy to consume, my, consume myself every day with those unanswerable questions. 
even though in the back of my mind I knew that I was never going to get get an answer, and I'm still never going to get an answer. You know right, why right. us? Why me? Right. So, so you you don't remember any of the crash. Uh, what do you remember? Like when? Essentially, if I'm not mistaken, you woke up in the hospital quite badly injured, and and what happened? Yeah, I forgot to tell that little piece, but um, even that night, it is crazy what the mind can do. Um, I didn't have a phone or wallet, and I was up in the air ambulance with one of the other guys. And um, <laughs> luckily, my mom's had the same phone number since I could possibly remember. And I just riddled off my mom's phone number, got to chat with her. Um, that night. That night. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I don't know exactly. My mom might know exactly like what time that kind of transpired because once they kind of got that news then i mean it was a just like a waiting game like it was more of just like they're an airdrie and everything was happening you know just outside of nipple and so um my mom ended up flying in that night my parents drove back to leduc and then you know drove in the next day and um and then for me i remember probably three or four days later um waking up and um i always like to add that my my parents did such a good job of easing me into this and easing me into how severe it was and how tragic it was and uh, but then again I mean you when you wake up and you got Ron McLean and Connor McDavid and Ryan O'Reilly in your room and you got 40 friends and family um, your mind definitely starts to wander but I was you know something's going on here yeah but I was also I mean I was hooked up to three machines I was on morphine drip um, so it definitely took some time yeah um, but then obviously once start once things started to kind of come to and once I was able to, you know, understand a little bit better, um, then I think it was just a case of, you know, how, how like, like, you just don't even know how, like where to begin. Um, a you million don't, questions. A million questions. And obviously you're still very foggy of over this, you know, this past week and what's transpired. And then when you get your phone, you... Um, you know, you see 500 text messages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Snapchat, I mean, everything. And I like to add that obviously you still to this day, like the love and support we received is, is definitely a big part of, you know, why we were able to get through some of those hard days. But I mean, it rocked a lot of people. And I know even for my dad, like it's, it's something that, I, I, I don't even think those days in the hot, like it was just a case of pacing and just right. like, you know, like, like what is going on and right. like, how did this happen? And I mean, anybody that you talk to that obviously was in those hospitals, um, it's just, it, I mean, there's so much love for the nurses and doctors and everybody that, you know, just rallied around us to make things happen because I mean, it was just chaos. Um, and it's, it, there's so many stories from those you know, those first couple of days that are just so horrible and yeah. so tragic to look yeah. back on. Um, but once again, I mean, I had so many friends and family come visit. I had so many friends and family come support. Um, I had a group, I mean, even the Saskatoon hosts or hotels, like gave all my friends and family and everybody that was visiting other friends and family, um, you know, just free hotels, you know, yeah. stay as long as you want. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it was a very traumatic time for them as well. And I mean, I was in no position to be really like having these conversations. And I think one thing I've definitely learned is that the human like society is just very curious and they care a lot, especially the hockey community. Um, but I was not in a position to really give anything. I didn't want to give anything. No, like of I, course. You yeah. know, just emotionally numb, just pure shock. Um, and I don't think that shock factor will ever fully wear off. Um, I think that summer after was, you know, just a case of like, where do I even begin? Like, how do I even start this? You know, like. Well, and you were what, 19, 20? You were 20? 19 at 19 the time. 19 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, not to take away from 19 year olds, but you were 19. <laughs> yeah. Right. And um, I appreciate you saying that, you know, you had not only had you not experienced major loss in your life or, or even having this understanding of what grief is, but, but you, you were part of this event, Mm -hmm. right? I I know many people um, that this, this crash has affected deeply. I know many young guys who were very close to some of the players on that team, but were not there um, that have had to undergo 
a lot of counseling and, and seeked out a lot of professional help because of what it has done to them, just losing their friends. And you being in the crash um, and then, you know, essentially waking up in the hospital, like you said, I mean, all these people are around and what's happening. Um, it's just incredible. I, I'm, I'm lost for words when I think about it. I, I, I know a couple of the other families that were involved. Um, I'm quite close with the Josephs who lost their boy Jackson. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget that day. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, it, it was the social media stuff. There were pictures. There was, there was all this stuff happening. And you start, and then people all, like you said, they all start texting, right? Well, this person, that person, that person. And then I, it was, it was chaos for the rest of the outside world trying to figure out what was happening, trying, I can't even imagine what it was like for, for the people involved, um, the, the, the families, uh, Chris Joseph and I have talked about it and, and he's, he's been very vulnerable and honest with me and, and we cry every time, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. time. I feel like crying right now Yeah. When, I, when I'm talking about it. And, you know, what what injuries did you have? Because you you actually did have some substantial stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like the injury side of things was, uh, I like to add, like I ne- I definitely wasn't in a case of hopping out of my hospital bed. Okay. Um, I suffered a stroke, so needless to say, I was the, the younger person in the stroke ward. Um, mm. I suffered um, a fractured collarbone, which led to surgery, um, and w- which led to severe nerve damage in my left arm, which mm. I like to think like, or I like to say that I never wish nerve damage upon my worst enemy. I didn't know what it was. Um, you know, waking up and your left arm is dead and you're right. kind of wondering what's going on. And two two broken ribs, a punctured lung, broken shoulder blade, um, six inches of my small intestine removed. Um, so there was a lot going on. I mean, there was a lot of like physical stuff going on. And I think that's what... I think that's what kind of led me down the path of just like putting the physical blinders on um, and just reverting back to my, you know, my athlete background or my male background, I guess you could touch into of just like, okay, let's put the work boots on. um, Let's stretch, let's recover, let's heal physically. um, And I truly thought that everything else would kind of follow. I wish I didn't go down that path, um, but it was just so routine for you know an athlete or you know a a male i guess for me at the time it was a it was a case of you know i'm a i'm a man and my dad's the epitome of a man and i want to i want to follow in those footsteps and continue to put others before myself and i want to you know i want to make sure that people know that i'm okay and i'm fine and i can get through this but so was it an attitude of like okay suck it up tyler let's go yeah like You, you have to do this to prove to yourself and to others like you said, I'm a man. Yeah, I think yeah, I think proving to myself that I could recover physically after all those injuries was something that I um I definitely latched on to. And this is nobody's fault. Like right. this was nobody it, and it just was a case of, you know, our family maybe if you look back, we could have had some more vulnerable conversations growing up. But then again, I mean, I'm never going to fault my parents for that because we like up until a couple of years, I think a lot of people really didn't understand mental health. And sure. I think we're, we're continually trying to understand and evolve in it. But, and Tyler, let's be honest in, in and I, you know, I, I don't hate saying this in the hockey culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Put your work boots on. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I would say that nobody in this world would expect you or, or others who've gone through that to like, let's go. But, it was all about when who's playing on the team next year. Like, and, and I get it. it. It was this idea of we've got to forge on. The players, you know, the people who who died in the crash would want this team to keep going. Well, I I understand mm-hmm. that, but I think for you, with this hockey culture, this mentality, it was a let's go, and that's no. I don't want to say that's nobody's fault. No, but at the end of the day, it is. The culture that all of us in the hockey world, I say us as a house league player uh, back in the day, but I, I have sons that played high-level hockey, and, and it is that that mindset, right? So you probably fell into that a bit. Plus, we got to put on 
top of that, all the trauma you had been through, all, all the, 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 the not knowing how to handle this, to the deal with it. So you ended up going back and playing, didn't you? Yeah. So I think that summer after, um, I think the, the, probably the good part at the time was there was so many distractions available. Um, and I think, you know, as I reflect, I definitely wanted to just curl up in a ball and just, you know, not come out for a, a long time. And even I recently read a, a post on Reddit about grief. Uh, my girlfriend showed me this post and it, it, it definitely hit a chord. Um, and it, there's this old man that writes a post about, you know, how he's experienced a lot of grief in his life. And he explains like his relationship with grief about how, you know, when grief strikes, it's a wreckage and everything around you, it just feels like it's wrecked. Um, and he was saying that, you know, as time come, or as, t as time goes on, it's a hundred foot waves to start and then it's 50 foot waves and then it's five foot waves and, um, you know, anniversaries and everything. There's triggers involved that will reignite like a 50 foot wave. And, but then again, I, I read another post or a comment that was just under it. And it talked about how, you know, if you don't feel this way, and if you don't, you know, have these instant hundred foot waves, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, I really did want this like magic formula to like this grief process um, because unfortunately there was so much complexity and loss to our situation. And by no means am I dim diminishing anybody else's situation, but it's it's a very unique situation when you when you have sixteen you know, very unique individuals that you spent so much time with that are no longer here. You know, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I think, like I said, going back to my summer after it was so easy to distract and it was so easy to, you know, go to the NHL awards, distract with that. It was so easy to, you know, just scroll through, check everything, um, constantly be on your phone, distract, distract, distract. And, I now appreciate the difference between, you know, staying distracted and keeping busy. Um, but once I, you know, being back in Humboldt for the home opener, once, you know, the team announced that the Broncos are going to put a team together again, which was, I think, for a lot, especially for the community, I yeah. think it was something that they needed. Very important. Something where, you know, on a Friday and Saturday night, as much as it's going to look a lot different and there's going to be a lot of different names involved on that program, um, they, the community especially, I think, needed that and needed somewhere to go still. Um, but, you know, being back at that home opener, um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were kind of, you know, a little bit against how it, how they did the home opener and how much connection and how much, you know, attention the home opener got. And, um, and I don't think that anybody involved that day, you know, was doing out, doing it out of a negative or a negative aspect, you know, but right. For us who were there, you know, standing on the red carpet and watching all these banners drop of everybody that was involved and then everybody that was lost that day, um, it was a very, very hard reality where it was like, okay, we are back in our home. We are back in, you know, our environment that we had so much fun in. And these banners are symbolizing the fact that these amazing people are no longer ever going to be in this rink. Um, and I think that's as weird as it was, it also kind of reignited my fire to just be like, okay, the best thing I can do right now is just go back and play and go back and play for everybody that we lost and go back and, you know, do my part and just make sure that, you know, I'm also going to prove it to myself that I can play at the junior hockey level again, but I'm also going to strictly do it for, you know, the 29 families sure. and especially the 16 families, you know. And also everybody that supported us that day, you know, I felt as though if I could try my best to get back and if I could go out there and, you know, do that first game and do that first bus ride and do all these firsts again, then it's, you know, it is about everybody else, but maybe down the road, it could be beneficial for me to try it out. Sure. Um, were there, uh, and I should know this and I'm sorry that I don't, were there any other players that went back? Yeah. So Patter and Camel went back and they started the season. Okay. Um, so I think that was another big part of me wanting to go back is yeah. I had two guys. I had two guys that could relate. I had two guys that were going to be there. Yeah. Um, and once I got back, I mean, it was a very, I think, good thing in my journey to be able to go back and, you know, I can look back and say, I went back, mm -hmm. um, but at this time, I don't think I just did any uh, preparation mentally or emotionally. Um, I didn't want to. You were focused on the physical and the hockey. 
Exactly. And I think for anybody that knows, like the hockey side of things is, it's very tough to get back from any injuries Mm -hmm. and especially the hockey conditioning side of things. And I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to go there, you know, knowing that I had a spot regardless and showing up and, you know, not really showing up. Um, But after 10 games, as much as, you know, I will never have any ill will against any of the those new players or any of those new coaches. It just wasn't where I needed to be. And it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't home anymore. Right. Um, and even, you know, sitting there at the, the dinner table with my amazing billets, you know, not seeing Tobes at his chair at our dinner table, you know, while we have our fun little banter that we used to have and um, not sitting beside those guys that I wanted to be sitting beside in the dressing room. Yeah, I mean, it led me down a path of I need to make a decision. And I knew my decision, but I still, in the back of my mind, was thinking to myself, I'm going to let everybody down. Um, I don't want to do that. You know, there's how many survivors that can't play hockey at this level anymore. Again, you know, what is it gonna, what are they going to look at me like if I just step away? Um, but after having a conversation with my Bill of Mom and letting them know how I feel, um, you know, seeing the pain and struggle in her eyes, knowing that she knew all this time that I was suffering so much um, and having her make this promise that I was going to go seek help. I think that's what really rocked me. And even like in my speeches, like whenever I share that, you know, my bill of mom made a promise to me that she was going to, you know, make sure that I went and seeked help. I like to pause after I, after that, because those are those three words that I was not ready to come to terms with that I need help or I'm going to go seek help. You know, that's, not something I ever thought to attach myself to because I was like, I'm just going to attach myself to weakness and shame if I'm going to fully come to terms with the fact that I need help. Um, but that was that ultimate conversation that I just needed to have. And that's what led me down that path of, you know, just stepping away and always looking back. And I will never have to live with the regret of not knowing of, you know, what would have happened if I went back. You know, right. I, I went back and I, did gave, it. I gave it a shot, um, but it wasn't where I needed to be. The Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Youth Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Youth Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www.youcan.ca. Grief, uh, as you talked about earlier, it, it's it's different for everyone, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's because we're all unique individuals, as you said earlier, right? And um, one thing that that I know about grief is is uh, you can th- think and feel outwardly, or you can think and feel inwardly, and both are fine. Um, grief can be very selfish. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like you were the opposite. You weren't being very selfish with your grief. And you were doing a lot of outwardly things. But this conversation changed that, where now you said, I need help. So you started using words like I, me, which which to me is what was the, the turning point for you. What happened next? Yeah, I mean... I think I was able to finally go home and um, you said it perfectly that I, that I never was really wanting to, to put attention to. Um, But going home, I was able to start actually like utilizing my resources and like utilizing the people around me. Um, No, I'm not saying I went home instantly and started, you know, bawling my eyes out to my parents every night, but it was a case of, I was finally open-minded to the fact that this is going to be a long journey and this is going to be a process um, and there's going to be a lot of steps involved. And I think still to this day, like I am hesitant to have those conversations sometimes for some reason. Um, I have an easier time having conversations with strangers after speeches that I do with my really close loved ones sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I will continually try and work on. Um, but I was able to, you know, try therapy and try new things. And, and, um, I think even for me, as much as I was stepping away from junior A hockey, something that I aspired to do for quite some time, uh, I even went back and 
I can't remember what exactly what the timeline was, but I think I got back and within like two or three weeks, I was already going out and playing with the junior B team in Leduc. Right. And I think for me, it wasn't a case of, you know, cause I was starting to lose that love of hockey in Humboldt and being back in Humboldt. And I was, I know that when you lose something that you love and when you lose that enjoyment of something, it's really hard to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, and another loss. And, and another loss. And I think that like the grief of that hockey loss was very challenging, but I was able to go back and just be free and just like escape a little um, and not escape from everything that was going on, but escape from the fact that, you know, I still want hockey to be a part of my life. My foundation of hockey will forever be changed. And it will forever be a case of, you know, that team is it. And that team was the best it ever could have been. But I have to be open-minded to the fact that hockey gave us a lot. And hockey was a big reason as to why, you know, I was still able to make it through some of those days. And and the least I could do is go back and try and be open-minded to it in a whole different scenario. Um, and I was able to go out and just enjoy the game again. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I was playing with a lot of guys that I grew up playing with. So having that, like that solid foundation of a lot of these friends that I grew up playing with really did help. And obviously junior B is not junior A. Um, it's still a very competitive league and it's fun. Um, but it's not a business, but it's what you needed at the time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So and, and, uh, that, that, Little F word fun. Yeah. Which sometimes is not part of hockey when you hit this junior level uh, because it is a business and it's a grind. And it's, you know, we don't need to get too into the hockey side, but I mean, at the end of the day, you guys are, it's, your pieces of meat. Mm-hmm. This is what exactly. happens. And yeah. by the sounds of it, back to you, you needed to focus on you. And so going home, being around loved ones, uh, family, friends playing some junior B hockey because it was fun. It was safe. There was a lot of guys that you knew, people you grew up with. You started doing therapy. You started doing other things. Um, When did you really start to realize uh, that importance to your mental health and to to your, you know, you said you realized that this was going to be a journey. And at the end of the day, Tyler, you and I have talked about it. This is lifelong journey, right? When did that really hit you? And, and what have you been doing um, for yourself, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I think, like, obviously, that conversation I had with my Bill of Mom re- really reaffirmed the fact that, you know, me trying so hard to put this mask on was really starting to ultimately, you know, affect the relationships with my loved ones. And I think that's what kind of sparked this idea in my mind that if I'm, if I'm not going to show up for myself, people are going to stop showing up for me. Um, and I had so many people really show up and I had so many people that were, I, I, I don't want to say they were waiting for me to have a conversation with them. I don't want to say that they were waiting for me to become vulnerable, but essentially, you know, I just gave my people nothing. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know, the least I could do is put some time in for myself because I know that that's going to help my relationships. And I'm so fortunate now to think about how many relationships have deepened over these past couple of years with my loved ones because of the fact that, you know, they can open up to me and I can open up to them. But it's also a case of, I had this misconception that if I'm going to, you know, become vulnerable and if I'm going to share that, you know, I need something back, you know, I want concrete advice or feedback back, you know, but it's not about that. You wanted to get fixed. I wanted to get fixed and I wanted this dream magic formula, right. you know, offered up to me on a silver platter. You but wanted somebody to say to you on this specific date, you're going to feel good. <laughs> you're going to feel normal. It's all done. Exactly. Yeah. But I think I had this, these new perspectives starting to come to light where it's a case of, I just want my people to listen, mm. you know, and I, I know that they will listen. And I, I was starting to rewrite this conception of, okay, they're going to listen and and that's what they're going to do. You know, maybe they'll offer a little something, a little tidbit here and there. But at the end of the day, if I can if I can become vulnerable and if they can listen, then they can start to understand a little bit better and they can start to unravel it a little bit more. And then they can start to, you know, have these little recognitions that they can, you know, input into our friendship or our relationship. And um, I mean, there was just so many things that I was just starting to learn more and more. And 
Um, there were so many little eye-opening experiences that I was starting to have, you know, even speaking for the first time and having adults come up to me in tears thanking me. And um, that was a really weird thing for me to understand, you know, because why would people come up to me thanking me for, you know, me babbling on about my story? Well, that I, th- I think that also comes because that's part of your journey you're on mm-hmm. as you're gaining confidence in your abilities and whatnot. But I also think it's it's because you're sharing stuff that is is really um it's I mean it's so personal. Like I like I appreciate you being here so much because what you've been through and what you're willing to do sharing it with others um is quite incredible. And and you and I had a great conversation. I think it was last week uh we talked on the phone and we talked about the importance of being vulnerable and and let's we can just focus it specifically on men um because we're men and and we both would agree uh the importance of men being vulnerable with one another i i, I think at times it is easier to talk to people you don't know mm-hmm. that way because there's nothing invested there really right there's there's you're not taking a chance there as much as you are with people that you're very close with, but you, ha- oh, sorry, sorry, you have become an advocate for this, and this is something that's very important to you. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about that. What are you doing now, Tyler? Uh, what, what, what? I know you've got an incredible website that I'm going to let you tell us all about. But what type of stuff are you doing now? That one is helping you continue on your journey with mental health and then hopefully helping others. Yeah. Um, there's kind of three things that I am doing now that I really never anticipated doing. Um, but I think it just goes back to, I was starting to become open-minded to this, this journey and this, you know, idea of mental health. And, um, and I always like to make sure that people know, like by no means am I an expert, Mm. (laughs) like I'm the farthest thing from, but I do, I do appreciate how much power a story can have. And I do appreciate how much power, you know, relativity can have Um, and being able to relate to a story and being able to find a common ground in a story, even if it's, you know, a wildly different story from from yours. So um, I've been fortunate to speak to a wide variety of audiences, um, you know, directly around, I guess, mental health and you know, perspectives, um, perspectives after trauma, perspectives after grief, perspectives after, you know, after tragedy. And yeah, I mean, it's, everybody always told me writing is therapeutic, you know, sharing is therapeutic. And um, for me, I think doing these speeches as much as it, you know, it is mainly the same topic. I think it is very therapeutic for me. And sometimes there are days where, you know, leading up to a speech, I'm not super feeling it and I'm not, you know, super engaged as I want to be. Um, but I think once I finish that speech and once I, you know, commence and, um, commence that talk, I think those conversations that I'm able to have afterwards and that connection I'm able to make with these, you know, these random individuals that I'm just meeting, um, really just lets me, lets me know that I'm hopefully making an impact. And that's one thing, especially, inside the hockey community, I mean, we were given so much love and support and I think I will forever. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to be forever in debt of, you know, of wanting to help, but I think it's just something that, you know, I want to make sure I'm doing everything in my power to help make an impact and help resonate and help make people reflect. And, um, so the public speaking world is, you know, I enjoy going to, even last week I was up north doing oil and gas talks Mm -hmm. and I never thought I'd be standing in front of a room of oil and gas workers talking about mental health. Um, but it's everyone, which is incredible because it is everyone. Yeah. And it's, uh, I've been able to speak to a variety of audiences and it's like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to do something like this. And, um, and then also, I mean, I'm doing a podcast now with a guy who plays why he just decided to go over to Switzerland, but a, a 10 year NFL NHL veteran, um, who wants to be proactive about his mental health and wants to be proactive about his post-career endeavors. And uh, what's, th- it, what's that podcast? What's it called? And who's your co-host? Uh, so it's called Speak Your Mind. Uh, my co-host is Riley Shan, who used to, uh, you know, longtime Red Wing, uh, Sabre, Oiler, Penguin. So, I mean, he's he's got quite a story. And, I mean, he's played with your likes of Sidney Crosby, Pavel Datsuk, Zetterberg, um, Connor McDavid. I mean, he's seen it all. He's been through it all. And, 
I think, you know, having these candid conversations with him, but also having these candid conversations with our guests is something that, once again, I never really anticipated doing, but I take so much from these conversations. Yeah. And I really like in, in putting these, you know, these little quotes and these little ideas that I get from, you know, our guests into my own life and into my own speeches. I mean, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard was from Joe Hawley, a longtime NFL veteran. Um, I played at center and he shared, you know, grief is the most profound form of love to have loved and to have lost. And it's something I never thought about. And it's something that I probably would have been closed minded to before. But now it's a case of, oh, okay, I hear this quote, and I'm instantly reflecting on this quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and these conversations that we're having are, are hopefully, you know, we like to as cliche as it sounds, we like to think of, you know, if it's just helping one person, then it's a win win, you yeah. know, it's a it's a mission accomplished. And, um, and then the other endeavor is, uh, I started a little mental health clothing line, clothing line um, a couple of years ago now, and um, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I never really thought to, you know, make it big or anything like that. But I think I always like to touch on that mental health is a difficult area. It's an uncomfortable area, and and I think being able to create a community around a difficult topic and create a community around a, a difficult situation is something that you know people will align with because. Being able to wear your vulnerability proudly is a, is a special, special thing. And that's something that, you know, we just want to slap mental health messages and words on clothing. You know, we don't want to hide behind anything. We just want to, you know, let people know. And um, even I had, did a speech yesterday in Calmar and one teacher came up to me and she was wearing our little Not Alone sweater. Um, the company's called Not Alone Co. And she was wearing a little sweater and she was like, I've had countless conversations of people, you know, coming up to me and being like, oh, what's this about? You know, like. And I think our main goal or our main mission is just to help facilitate those meaningful conversations with people. Um, And that could be a case of an indirect conversation that you have no idea that's happening, whether it's somebody passing you at the grocery store, seeing this quote of not alone, or it's okay to not be okay, or check in with your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, That individual could directly go home and start having a meaningful, vulnerable conversations with her loved ones. And it's just that simple reminder sometimes that people need and, um, we've been able to donate, you know, portions of the proceeds to different charities and foundations that, you know, we try to keep it local and then also go jack.org or whatever it may be. So um, it's been fun. I really have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> uh, and I'm a horrific self-promoter, but it's uh, once again, I think being able to be open-minded to this idea of mental health is a, uh, it's challenging and it's it, like I said, I'm not an expert, but I know that people just want to relate. What's that website? Uh, it's, www.notalonco.com. Yeah. I've checked out the website. It's quite well done. And you did it, which, you know, uh, you're an expert website guy. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, to to wrap up, I could talk to you all day long. I really could. Um, You are an extraordinary young guy. And... um, one that I admire very much. You, you, you've been through more uh, than than anyone can imagine. And back to the grief topic, um, I, I've been told that that the the depth of your gr- your grief reflects the depth of your love mm-hmm. that you had, and um, it's lifelong. You're you are still a young man and your your journey is forever but i believe the way that you're willing to talk about it i believe the 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 honesty you have behind it where this is work this is not i'm fixed this is work i love the fact that you want to be vulnerable with other people in particular men uh it's so needed it's always been needed um I really do hope nothing but the best for you. And I, I know that you're having an impact. You've spoken a couple times today about, I'm not an expert. Uh, you know, you can't believe that you're standing in front of all these people talking because like, who am I? Uh, I actually think part of that comes because you're young and I will be the first, I run a youth organization, you can use services. And I'm the first one to say, don't ever apologize for your age, my friend, uh, ever because you have so much to offer. Um, but I love your attitude where uh, as essentially as you teach, 
And you may not look at it that way, but as you teach and as you bring awareness, you're also learning. And to me, the best teachers are all, always learning. And you are um, on this path because of, of a tragedy, but I think that this path is going to be incredible for you. And I, I truly believe that you already have impacted many lives and I believe you're going to impact many more. And you are not alone. Um, honestly, I, I mean that sincerely. Uh, because of that message, I feel like I'm not alone either because I deal with mental health as well. And I deal with a lot of things due to certain circumstances in my life too. And I love the fact that I can sit here and talk to another guy about it. So we're going to end with a quote um, because we like quotes as well. Uh, now I got to put my glasses on cause I'm old. Um, this quote is self care. I learned isn't selfish. You know who said that? You. <laughs> Self-care I learned isn't selfish. And you are correct. Uh, keep taking care of yourself. Because if you take care of yourself, then outwardly you can take care of others. I appreciate you so much. I've learned a lot from you today. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to, to end with or... No, You're I'm feeling good. That was, uh, yeah. Uh, as, uh, as your amazing wife knows, um, I have a lot of love for you guys and I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. And, um, you said it perfectly. The fact that we can, you know, two men sit and have this conversation, um, on a, you know, on a weekday morning is, uh, it's a profound thing. And, uh, you know, what you're doing is, uh, is it's profound. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's admirable. And, um, I will continue to, you know, I think support in this, in these mental health endeavors is, uh, is, is hard sometimes, but I think it's so important and so needed. And, um, I will continue to, you know, support what you have created and, and what you continue to aim to do. And, um, I appreciate you and I appreciate, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation. So thank you very much, Kyle. Well, thank you. And keep being relentless in your endeavors. Uh, I don't even think we use the word relentless today, <laughs> which is weird because I always drop it 1700 times every podcast, but, um, you truly are relentless and you've had a lot of relentless pressure upon you and yet you're being relentless in dealing with that. So, you know what, uh, this may, uh, but I don't think it's weird. I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> and I appreciate you being here. Okay. Where can we find you on the socials? Um, yeah, Instagram, we have a, I, we do the not alone. So I think it's at not dot alone dot co, I think is what we, the username we got. And then, uh, Smitty two, six, nine is my, uh, Instagram. Okay. Um, and then Twitter is, I think little Smitty two, six, nine or something okay. like that. So, um, it's hard, uh, when you have one of the most generic names in the <laughs> English dictionary, <laughs> uh, Tyler Smith is, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty common. So. Tough to come up with something super original. Yeah. And you know what? You can, uh, find all the, you can stuff, uh, on the socials. It's at you can Edmonton. And uh, our website is www.ucan.ca. Thank you everyone for listening. I, I hope that this has been beneficial to everyone that listened to this. And uh, if you need to get a hold of Tyler, you now know how to. If you need to get a hold of us, you now know how to. And um, just everyone listening, you are not alone. And please, by all means, if you need help, uh, if you need to talk to somebody, uh, reach out to the, the people around you uh, or to the resources within your community. And we'll actually put some of those up uh, on, on the description of this podcast and on the YouTube channel as well. So thanks again, Tyler. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. And we will, uh, we will see you all next time on the Relentless Podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the Relentless Podcast. Today's subject can be quite sensitive to many people. If you are struggling in any way with mental health, we ask that you go to any of the websites that you see behind me right now or that are in the description of the podcast. If you need help, we really, really want you to go and get it.